the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Today we're going to talk with the co-author of an important book simply titled Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Very practical to help us take advantage of this opportunity that we have coming out of a pandemic and to really love our neighbors well. John Ferguson will be my guest. He co-authored the book along with his brother, David Ferguson. They're both pastors, and we'll talk more about that when they join us or when he joins us later this hour. Also, we're going to talk about uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's in the crosshairs right now. He has emails uh, some 300 uh, or more emails have been uh, uncovered and published, and those emails about COVID-19 have revealed some things about Dr. Fauci that are not just unflattering, but may actually um, raise some questions about the legality of some of what he has said and done. All of that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, so stay with us. First, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. President Biden announced new incentives, including free beer, to reach his COVID vaccination goal. Wow. Well, President Biden on Wednesday declared June a national month of action to take aim at the coronavirus pandemic, urging Americans to get vaccinated. I'm not sure a um, mug of beer is going to do it. Aiming to reach his goal of getting at least one COVID vaccination shot into the arm of 70 percent of the nation's adults by the 4th of July, the president unveiled the first part plan to um, uh, reach that goal, which included steps to make it easier to get the vaccine and incentives such as free food, beer and tickets. Well, Biden highlighted that 52 percent of adults are now fully vaccinated, including 75 percent of all seniors fully vaccinated are safely shredding their masks and um, greeting one another with a smile. Grandparents are hugging their grandkids again. Small business owners are reopening storefronts and restaurants because of the vaccination strategy the president emphasized. Well, Biden also said that after combating a pandemic that's taken the lives of more than 600,000 Americans since the beginning of last year, the nation's headed into a summer of freedom, a summer of joy, a summer of get-togethers and celebrations, an all-American summer that this country deserves after a long, long, dark winter that we've all endured. But he warned that if you're unvaccinated, you're still at risk of getting seriously ill or dying or spreading the disease to others. In other developments, West Virginia is offering guns as prizes in their COVID vaccine lottery. And House, uh, rather Houston Methodist Hospital, they're being sued by nurses over their vaccine mandate for employment. Now, what do these nurses know that the rest of us don't? They're saying, look, we don't want to be vaccinated. Well, vaccine protection may diminish over time and need a yearly booster, we're being told. It's not altogether clear that will be the case, but it's increasingly being discussed. Israel has found a possible link between Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine and myocarditis, an inflammation of the heart. Despite COVID-19 vaccines, nursing homes are still struggling with outbreaks. 
Well, a top cybersecurity official is warning of more ransomware attacks. Top cybersecurity officials warned on Wednesday that the U.S. can expect to see more ransomware attacks as the nation reels from recent hits on U.S. interests, including meat supplies and fuel. Chris Butera, he's the head of the Threat Hunting for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, said that ransomware has continued to increase, especially in our state, local governments, as well as our critical uh, instructor space. The ransomware actors have become more brazen, he said, during a virtual summit on Wednesday. They've started to um, exfiltrate data and try to extort payments. I do think we will continue to see that happen, Butera said, adding cybersecurity is a primary priority for the U.S. government. Ransomware attacks have increasingly targeted American interests, most recently shutting down U.S. meat plants affiliated with the world's largest meat packer, Brazil-based JBS, earlier this week. Butera said the government doesn't encourage companies to pay out ransom on cyber attacks, but said the administration understands if private companies disagree. The government does not advocate paying ransoms, Butera said, but we do understand that it is a significant, difficult decision for some of these organizations when they are put under the gun to try to manage their business operations during these times. In other developments, the FBI says the Russia-linked R-Evil, or Revil, I'm not sure quite how they would uh, pronounce their own name, is responsible for the JBS cyber attack. New York City's Metropolitan Transportation Authority says it was hacked in April, and experts say that JBS, the hack, uh, is the latest escalation of Russia-based aggression ahead of the June 16th Putin summit. The JBS ransomware attack points to an ominous threat, a trend, uh, in fact, targeting critical industries by foreign actors. Rand Paul gives a two-word response to Dr. Fauci's unearthed emails. Senator uh, uh, Paul, a Republican out of Kentucky, shared two words in response to the news of the unearthed emails by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Thousands of emails obtained by BuzzFeed News and hundreds more reviewed by the Washington Post through Freedom of Information Act requests show Fauci's uh, responses to both critique, uh, uh, critics rather, and high praise as he worked to communicate the dangers of COVID-19 to the U.S. as director of the National Institute of, Early, of Allergy rather and Infectious Diseases. Told you, Paul wrote to uh, wrote rather in a Tuesday tweet with a hashtag fire Fauci. He added in another tweet, can't wait to see the media try to spin the Fauci Freedom of Information Act emails. Well, Paul was rep- repeatedly criticized uh, has uh, criticized Fauci on social media and in interviews for his uh, comments on herd immunity, wearing masks even after getting the COVID-19 vaccine, and his dismissal of a theory suggesting COVID-19 may have originated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China. that's gained more credibility among members of the media in recent weeks, despite early snubbing of the idea under the previous administration. In other news, MSNBC's Nicole Wallace doesn't press Fauci on emails in an interview, but rather gushes during a softball interview. Tucker Carlson is asking whether Dr. Fauci is under criminal investigation, while Sean Hannity says, was Fauci engaged in a scientific cover-up? Martha McCallum pushes back with the National Institutes of Health chief, denies he rejected the lab leak theory, charging you and Fauci jumped to conclusions. And Laura Ingram blasted Fauci as man, uh, the man rather, who cried COVID and wonders if his days are numbered. All speculation at this point, but the investigation is widening and continues. Well, Israel has arrested a top Hamas leader in a pre-dawn raid 
Jonathan Turley says the Supreme Court's recent unanimous 9-0 decisions are justices sending a message. And an Oklahoma State teacher assistant uh, says she can't teach Spanish because, well, she's white. Bill Gates' next-generation nuclear reactor will be built in Wyoming. Half of all U.S. states plan to terminate the Biden-backed COVID-19 employment benefits early. They're having trouble hiring people. And Google plans to accept cryptocurrency exchange and wallet advertisements in August. Well, emails reveal that Dr. Fauci's cozy relationship with the media has continued. But the related uh, BuzzFeed headline is pure sympathy for Fauci, proving the cozy relationship remains intact. In one example, Kyra Phillips of ABC News assured Fauci she respected him and would never endanger him in any way. From BuzzFeed, senior reporter Joan Leopold, an April 2020 email from the National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins to Fauci under the subject line, Conspiracy Gains Momentum. The email included a link to an article about Brett Baer saying on Fox News that COVID outbreaks started in Wuhan uh, at the Wuhan lab. Fauci's response is redacted. James Freeman says this in the Wall Street Journal, in our bizarre media age, since the two outlets are generally pro-Fauci and anti-Trump, it's not easy to find the news they've, um, they've uncovered, even in their own reports. Instead, Dr. Fauci is cast as a tireless and dedicated public servant who, don't laugh, is uncomfortable in the media spotlight. Dan Crenshaw on Twitter says this, Fauci lost my trust long before this, never contextualizing his statements, never uh, giving honest risk assessments, always treating us like we are too stupid to do anything but lock down and wear masks forever. The emails show uh, it was uh, worse than we thought. And Sean Davis uh, says this, if the most recent batch of Fauci's FOIA emails is any indication, Fauci's job consisted entirely of, one, not telling the truth, two, doing every media in, uh, interview possible except for Brett Baer, Fox News, and three, responding to fan email. If Fauci did it any actual work, he did it well. And uh, that was on Twitter. Another look at the media's kid gloves for Fauci, also on Twitter, was a rather interesting expose. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk with a co-author of the book, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. The co-author, John Ferguson, wrote the book with his brother, David Ferguson. They're both pastors at a church in Chicago. We'll talk with him about that in our next two segments. Well, the Pentagon, Pentagon rather, has declared diversity training is essential in defending the nation. This is the latest social experiment for the far left. And the NFL has agreed to stop treating blacks as less in intelligent in dementia lawsuits. Apparently, according to the New York Times, it turns out they used a race-based method of evaluating dementia claims. Kyra Davis explains and eviscerates the absurd concept employed by the NFL known as race norming. You can read more about that at Red State. John Lott points out that 46 of 47 nations surveyed require photo ID to vote. Also from the story, 74% of European countries entirely ban absentee voting for citizens who reside domestically. Another 6% limit it to those hospitalized or in the military, and they require third-party verification and a photo voter ID. Another 15% require a photo ID for absentee voting. So apparently, 
um, those who are requesting that identification be required are not out of the mainstream. An Oregon bill would ban landlords from refusing to rent to certain criminals. Well, near the end of the story, we get the reason. Now, the bill is backed by several racial equity groups that claim black tenants are most likely to be denied rent opportunities than their white counterparts, often because of their disproportionately higher rates of criminal history. The bill, if it makes it to her desk, that's Governor Brown, is likely to be signed by the Democrat governor as part of a racial justice plan to deal with alleged housing inequities. California is moving forward with reparations plans. California Governor Gavin Newsom on Tuesday said his state is moving forward with efforts to create a more equitable and inclusive future for all at the first meeting of the state's task force to study proposals for reparations for African-Americans. He, um, of course, is facing a recall effort as well. President Biden has put a stop to fireworks at Mount Rushmore. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem sued, but the federal judge appointed by the Obama administration denied that claim. Well, a Senate parliamentarian has complicated Democrats' filibuster workaround options in their effort to do a number of things, uh, pack the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, make the Washington, D.C. another uh, state, and so on. Under national security, terrorism and homicide prosecutors have been brought in to try the Capitol riot defendants for crimes like trespassing. And a Florida man pleads guilty over the Capitol breach. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice is moving to dismiss a case against an accused participant. New York City's Metropolitan Transportation Authority was uh, hacked in April. And ransomware attacks cost victims a combined $350 million in 2020. Around the nation, Washington state has mandated critical race theory in all public schools. Meanwhile, a video of black of a black dad and his young daughter speaking out against the critical race theory goes viral. You won't have any trouble finding it online. Well, despite a five million dollar book deal, hardcore narcissist Andrew Cuomo is uh, making taxpayers foot the two point five million dollar legal defense tab that he ran up. A new governing coalition has been formed and is prepared to replace Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. You can read more about that online at the Jerusalem Post. On this day in history, 1965, Edward H. White becomes the first American to walk in space during the flight of Gemini 4. 1989, Iran's spiritual leader Ayatollah uh, Khomeini dies. 2008, Barack Obama claims the Democratic presidential nomination, speaking in the same St. Paul, Minnesota arena where Republicans would be holding their national convention in September of 2008. 2014, on this day in history, tens of thousands of Syrians in government-controlled cities vote to give President Bashar Assad a new seven-year mandate. The opposition and its Western allies denounced the election as a farce, with U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry calling it a great zero, rather a great big zero. And on this day in history, 2018, Guatemala's volcano of fire, one of the most active volcanoes in Central America, erupts in fiery explosions of ash and molten rock, killing more than 100 people and leaving scores of others missing. It was uh, rather overwhelming. Well, Democrats' options to bypass the 60-vote threshold to overcome a Senate filibuster and pass legislation without Republican support just got more complicated. Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough 
uh, reportedly issued guidance to Senate staff on Friday that suggests Democrats could have another shot to pass a reconciliation bill, saying the framers of the modern budget process law did not intend the process to be used uh, used as as an indefinite number of times. Well, the, the potential for abuse was clear in 1974 and is all the more obvious now, McDonough wrote, according to Roll Call, adding that overuse and over-reliance on a hyper-fast track procedure in the ordinary deliberative Senate will change the culture of the institution to the, de- to the determinant of the committee and amendment process and the rights of all senators, end quote. Well, according to McDonough, a budget reconciliation resolution, unlike a regular budget resolution, cannot be automatically discharged from the Senate Budget Committee without a markup, creating a problem for Democrats because the committee is evenly divided. In April, the Senate parliamentarian issued guidance that made um, made way for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to pass an infrastructure package through reconciliation, meaning he could do it on a party line basis in the evenly divided Senate. Earlier this year, Democrats circumvented a filibuster and used the budget reconciliation process to pass the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan without the support of any Republicans. But until that clarification on guidance, it was widely thought that the process could be used only once per fiscal year. The American Rescue Plan accounted for the fiscal year 2021, leaving Schumer just one more opportunity to use reconciliation this year to affect the fiscal year 2022 which starts in October. Well, the April guidance uh, opened up the possibility of numerous other reconciliation bills to bypass the filibuster. But Friday's additional guidance from McDonough appears to limit that. So which is more accurate? Well, the Senate parliamentarian was at the center of another key decision earlier this year when Democrats tried to push a $15 an hour minimum wage, uh, wage hike through the reconciliation process in the American Rescue Plan. She said that measure fell outside the scope of what is allowed under the process, violating the Byrd Rule that says any measure extraneous to the budget cannot be passed through the budget reconciliation process. So that is at least some clarification. The FBI has identified a Russia-linked group as the entity behind the cyber attack on the meat-producing group JBS USA. We have attributed the JBS attack to Revil, or Re-R-Evil, you might say, uh, and Sodenokibi, or something very like that, and are working diligently to bring the threat actors to justice, the FBI wrote in a statement on Wednesday. We continue to focus our efforts on imposing risk and consequences and holding the responsible cyber actors accountable, the FBI uh, added, Revil Uh, or the other group have been described as, uh, by experts rather, as different names for the same group and past reporting has linked the hackers to Russia. JBS USA, one of the largest meat suppliers in the country, was the target of a cyber attack on Sunday that impacted its operations, forcing all of the company's beef plants in the U.S. to shut down. The attack comes just weeks after Colonial Pipeline was forced to temporarily shutter its operations after it was targeted by a cyber attack as well. well the FBI identified the criminal ransomware gang Darkside as responsible for that attack on the Colonial Pipeline, uh, pipeline network. Uh, last month, President Biden said the White House had strong reason to believe that the hackers were based in Russia, but not backed by the Russian government. The FBI's confirmation that the JBS cyber attack was perpetrated by a Russia-linked group comes after the White House on Tuesday said the attack likely originated from Russia. The White House Principal Deputy Press Secretary 
Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre said the White House was engaging directly with the Russian government on this matter and delivering the message that the responsible states do not harbor ransomware criminals, uh, implying that um, Putin should not allow this to generate from his country. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll share my conversation with John Ferguson, co-author of Bless, Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. There's even an addendum for how to do so during a pandemic. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. So glad to have you with us. Well, if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's that people and relationships are important. I think all of us have come to that conclusion. Well, during the months of isolation, thousands of Americans were left feeling anxious and depressed and lonely, showing us that God created us to be in community with each other. Well, to make matters worse, the 2020 U.S. presidential election left us more divided than ever before. But in this broken world, we need to intentionally, those of us who are followers of Christ, invest in each other and serve our neighbor as Christ did. Well, 2021 must be the year to love each other well. Well, my next guest and his co-author, who happens to be his brother, uh, John Ferguson, um, has written a book that will help us in that regard. Well, Dave and John Ferguson, uh, brothers, church thought leaders and authors, want friendship to be easy. As pastors of Community Christian Church in the Chicago area, they've seen the opportunity for their congregation to invest in others around them as they become more isolated in society. Well, the book is simply titled, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Well, John and Dave provide a step-by-step guide that encourages Christians to love others, to share the good news of the gospel, and change the world. And it all starts with one easy saying, and that is, bless. Well, my guest is uh, John Ferguson. He is co-founding pastor of Community Christian Church in Chicago. He serves as one of its uh, lead teaching pastors and provides leadership and new ventures. He has also helped uh, co-launch New Thing and serves on the board of directors for Exponential Conference. He joins us to talk about the book he co-authored with his brother, Dave Ferguson. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to it. This is such a timely book, given where we have been and where we're headed as we move away ever so slowly from uh, this pandemic that has forced us to isolate ourselves from one another. It's interesting to me as I walk through a grocery store, for example, that rather than look one another in the eye and smile, (laughs) uh, we tend to kind of move away from each other. We've been trained to, to be repelled by the presence of others. This book is so timely because it helps us to consider what we're called to do as Christians, and you draw our attention in the introduction to Mark 12, verses 30 and 31, in which we're told that loving our neighbor as ourselves uh, eight times throughout Scripture and by Jesus himself um, is such a significant part of what it means to reflect the character of Christ out into the culture. Uh, thanks so much, Georgine. I think you're, you're absolutely right, uh, particularly in these times when you know we are more divided, we tend to be more separated, people are suspicious of one another for a variety of reasons, uh, we need to follow exactly what you said, what Jesus said. That's love God and love others. It's the greatest commandment. He gave us two when we asked for one, but it's still all about loving God and loving others. And our hope is that this book really is almost a, a remedial course on what it means to be a good friend. Uh, yeah. I mean, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners, right? Wouldn't that be great if we were known as simply good friends? And then over the course of time, that can give us the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and help them find their way back to God and Jesus. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think some of us, we assume that, well, Jesus had an easier time of it, or maybe the sinners in his day weren't as challenging as they are in our day. <laughs> some, somehow we excuse ourselves um, because we don't know quite how to approach what our heart really longs for, and that is to develop relationships with people who don't yet know Christ, to share the best news we've ever heard and have benefited by, but we just don't know where to start. Bless really provides us with a blueprint and how to begin that and to reflect what Jesus reflected in his ministry on earth. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're speaking my language for sure. It's interesting, um, in, in working on the book, Georgine, George Barna, we discovered, led a really interesting study, and George Barna probably knows more about church life in America than just about anybody else, where he did a study and asked friends and neighbors what they value mm. in a person with whom they would talk about spiritual matters to. So they basically talked to all of our friends out there that we would like to reach with the gospel. They wanted to find, they said this, they said they would like to see three qualities in someone that they would talk about spiritual matters to. Number one, they want someone who will listen without judgment. They want someone who will allow them to draw their own conclusions. And then they want someone who can speak confidently about their own story. That's all they want. You know, we think somehow it's our job to convince or coerce or cajole. It's our job to be friends, love people the way Jesus loved people. And then let's let God's spirit do the work of convicting and converting. Well, and I appreciate you make it very clear the role that you and I are called to play and the role that God through his Holy Spirit is called to play. We sometimes take on more responsibility than is given to us, and that makes a a frightening prospect out of just engaging in uh, friendship and community with people who don't yet know Christ. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And Georgina, I don't know what your experience was growing up, but, you know, I and I think a lot of Christians probably feel this way, like this undue sort of kind of kind of pressure to do it a certain way. And mm-hmm. to, and, it, and it's all about a verbal witness. Now, I'm not saying that proclamation or verbal witness isn't important, but I think sometimes we get kind of the, the cart ahead of the horse, if you will. And if we will lay the groundwork, and I think these blessed practices do that, I think we'll find that we'll have an opportunity for a verbal witness and even a more powerful verbal witness than if we begin with the verbal witness. And that is so much of the example that we see Jesus set for us. And let's talk about the five blessed practices because it's blessed period, L period, E period. What are the blessed practices uh, that are everyday ways that you and I can share the love of Christ with our neighbor? And as you point out, change the world. Sure, Georgina, I can do that. I'll, I'll give you the five real quick. And then if you want, we can kind of dig in a little bit deeper on uh, one or two of them later yeah. on. But it begins with the letter B in bless, and it's begin with prayer. Now, I know that's a little bit of a stretch from an acronym standpoint, but it's begin with prayer. It gets better. Trust me. And keep <laughs> in mind, these are all things that Jesus did. So we didn't just make this up. OK, Jesus blessed people and he began with prayer. We see that over and over again in Scripture. Uh, the second one, then the L is for listen. And what we found is, and I think we all sort of intuitively know this, that you know, listening is one of the most profound and meaningful gifts we can give someone to intentionally listen to them, their dreams, their hopes, their fears. So begin with prayer, listen. And then the third one is my favorite. It's eat. We share meals. You look at the life of Christ. He shared meals with people all the time. It was a great way for him to, to connect with others and, and let them know that he loved them. So we begin with prayer. We listen. We eat. The first S in bless then is serve. I mean, Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Right, to serve, right, yeah. So it's begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve. And then the final S in blessed then is story. And we're convinced that if we will take the time to, to pray for the people that we feel like God has put in our path, that we want to bless, that we want to share the gospel with, 
we will listen to them, we'll share meals with them, get to really know them, we'll then know how we can best serve them. And then finally, at some point, we'll probably have an opportunity to share our story and hear their story and then let the Holy Spirit do its work. And hopefully they'll come to know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. So what you're describing is a relationship that is built over time, not 15 minutes in which you have to spew out everything you know about the gospel and hope that they will fall to their knees and, <laughs> and repent. Wow, Georgina, if I didn't, if I didn't know, but I, 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 you sound like you have experience in some of those other methods. <laughs> I know I do. And, and they didn't work that well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, your, as I mentioned earlier, your timing is impeccable. Given the fact that the uh, pandemic and the isolation that we've experienced, I think, has given us a longing to be together again. And what a tremendous opportunity we have to reintroduce ourselves, perhaps, to our neighbors uh, and to begin a relationship with people that we may have been in contact with for a long period of time. But we now have a good excuse to to build a relationship on these principles that will lead ultimately to sharing what's most important and, and deeply valued with the people that we learn to care about. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on. Yep. I, and again, what's interesting is, and we could talk about this too, but what we found is some of these principles you could actually do during the pandemic, even though there mm-hmm. was social and mask wearing, but certainly coming out of it, I think where you're right, um, more than anything, I think we're finding is that people are longing for connection, you know, content. We've always been able to get content, right? I mean, that's available anywhere on the internet, all sorts of places, but connection, okay, Zoom and Skype are great. However, true connection, uh, true friendships, the kind that bless one another are, are invaluable. And I think we do have an opportunity in this space and time coming out of the pandemic, like maybe we haven't in, in years or decades uh, to really, you know, kind of, kind of put our best foot forward and show the, the world what Jesus sort of looks like with, with skin on, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned to our listeners before our conversation that you have an appendix blessed during a pandemic. So there's some great um, ways that we can connect with people while we're on our way out of the pandemic. But we don't have to wait until things are completely clear. Now, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to continue my conversation with a co-author of uh, this important book, John Ferguson, along with his uh, brother, Dave, Bless Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with John Ferguson, who has written a very timely book simply titled Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. I thought it was rather interesting that the first chapter uh, in the book is Why Does Sharing the Good News Feel So Bad? And you touched on this just a little bit with uh, some of the surveys that have been done to let us know what the, the world outside of the church is thinking and is looking for from us. But let's address that. Why does sharing the good news feel so bad? Is it because our approach is flawed? Oh, it's a great question, Georgine. I think with the best of intentions at times, we'd have to admit that our approach um, was, is, or has been uh, somewhat flawed. And, And I think, again, it goes back to this idea that many of us grew up with and, and continue to um, is continuing to be perpetuated in some circles, I think, that you know it is up to us to coerce or convince or cajole people, and we kind of take the Holy Spirit out of it. And when in reality, I think what, what we need to do is learn to really, what does it look like to bless people, to love people, and then look for the opportunity then to, to share a gospel witness with them. And, you know, when I was first trained in evangelism, you know, it was these two diagnostic questions. We'd knock on doors and we'd, we'd mm-hmm. you know, pummel people with these questions immediately. And I'm not 
saying at all that there wasn't some good done with that. There was some really good that came out of it, but I also think there was probably some harm. And I think it also left a lot of your average everyday Christ followers who really do want to help their neighbors and their loved ones get to know Jesus, understand the gospel. I think it kind of left them feeling like, I'm never doing that. I can't possibly do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Whereas we can just kind of back up and say, okay, well, what did, what did Jesus do? He went about blessing the people in places that he came across every single day. And then if we give them some simple tools that really do reflect what Jesus did, I think we want people to walk away from this book saying, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I can help someone find their way back to God. I appreciate that the first um, blessed practice is to begin with prayer. I think that's so often left out. I'm pretty much on my own. I'm going to try to fashion this relationship in a way that works for me. We don't take the time to begin with prayer. And that's such an important element in blessing others as we're attempting to love them as we have been loved by Christ. Yes. And and I think you're right, Georgine, in that oftentimes we, you know, we say pray first, but really it's almost like, well, that's like your last resort. Our focus here is, yeah, begin with prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus started his earthly ministry uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says he went out on a mountain and he prayed. Over and over again, we find Jesus retreating to pray. And so I like to tell people, if you're not sure who God is calling you to bless, like Jesus, begin with prayer. Uh, one, one way that I try to practice this is uh, in my journaling, and I try to you know spend some time daily in prayer and quiet reflection and journaling. At the bottom of my journal, I have the letters B-L-E-S-S on the journal. And then below that, I have a list of names of people that I feel like are in my circle of influence that God is asking me to bless. And so... Now, I'm not going to say I do it every day, but most days I'm looking at that list and I'm praying for those people by name, asking God to give me opportunities to bless them. And I think it's important to note that by doing that, you're already blessing them. Like that actually counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, uh, somebody challenged me one time with this thought. They said, you know, there are people that you come across every single day who have never not once in their lifetime had someone pray for them. And I don't mean, you know, stop them you know, in the middle of the street, lay your hands on them and pray out loud. I just mean, you know, offer a simple word of prayer, even if they don't know that you're doing it. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad had been praying for me before I was born. And so we have an opportunity to really bless people, um, begin blessing them by simply praying for them. And I say, you know, if you don't know what to pray for, think of it like the golden rule of prayer, you know, pray for others as you would have them pray for you. Mm-hmm. A great way to start. So yeah, begin, begin with prayer. It's, it's, it's absolutely foundational. Uh, the second blessing uh, practice is to listen. And that sometimes can be hard for us because we're so anxious to share the good news because it's good news. We're not prepared to listen. And if we don't like what we're hearing, we may want to interrupt and interject. Or talk a bit about how we can bless others by simply listening and honoring them by listening. Yeah. You know, again, I go back to the life of Jesus. If you think about it and, and, and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Uh, asking questions and then listening was central to his life and teaching. He asked way more questions than he answered. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, one researcher found that of the 183 different questions Jesus was asked, he answered only a handful. Most of the time, what would he do? Respond with even more questions of his own, (laughs) sometimes to a point of frustration for some people, I think. But uh, the truth is listening may be the kindest and most loving gift you can give somebody. Uh, you know, I was even thinking about this, you know, during the pandemic, you know, as long as you kept your distance, 
you can still talk to people when you're out and about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we underestimate the value of listening and just how desperate people are for a listening ear. I think we've all had those situations when you're talking to somebody and you know they are so dialed in, you, they, they make you feel like you're the only person in the room. What a gift that is. Because we've also been in those situations where you're talking to somebody and it's, it is so obvious they're either looking past you or they're already reciting in their mind what they're going to say next before you even get the words out of your mouth. Yeah. And just this whole idea of listening, it's so powerful. And it, it paves a, uh, a great path for us, I think, to, to share the gospel. You know, I appreciate you reminding us that Jesus didn't answer every question. Sometimes we are fearful of being asked something we don't have the answer to because we think we have to carry the conversation. And what you've described is a genuine interest in other people that relieves us of the burden of having to uh, to carry, you know, the whole relationship and the whole conversation. So that is relieving in and of itself uh, and, and valuing other people. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think if we could just... Uh, put ourselves in the, in the, in the shoes of the other person, we all love to be listened to. And so why not just offer that gift that you enjoy experiencing to somebody else? Absolutely. Again, the book we're talking about, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Dave and John Ferguson are the authors. The next on the list is Eat. Now, that might be somewhat intimidating to some of our listeners as well. If you're used to hospitality, inviting someone into the home, or um, you know how to manage that, uh, that may seem like, oh, a great thing to do. But for others, that can be a little bit intimidating because we feel like we have to have it all together. Talk a bit about how we love our neighbors well. Um, and and how eating together uh, can facilitate that. Absolutely. And again, you know, I, I go back to the life of Christ over and over again. We find Jesus, you know, with tax collectors, sinners doing what he's eating. And I think it's because he knew there's something special about sharing a meal that has a way of moving almost any relationship past acquaintance uh, towards friendship faster than almost anything we can do. I mean, how, how many of us have had that experience where, you're, you have an acquaintance and then either they invite you out to eat or over to your, over to their home, or you connect somewhere over a cup of coffee or dessert. And suddenly someone who you just sort of felt like you sort of knew as an acquaintance. Now it's your, your friends. And I think it's just something that happens over a meal. And it's, it's not surprising when you think about how central meals were Mm -hmm. to the life of Jesus. I mean, the, the, one of the things that he left for us to, to, to repeatedly do over and over again, what, 2,000 plus years later is to share a meal, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the, and the cup, right? To remember his death and resurrection. So sharing a meal is a powerful way to, to bless the people around you. And, and something you touched on, Georgine, if I could real quick. Yeah. What I think is important about these blessed practices, particularly this one on eating, is we're really not asking people to add anything to your already busy schedule. I think most of us eat, I don't know what, three meals a day, seven days a week, about 21 meals a, a week. Some of us more, <laughs> some of us less. <laughs> Maybe throw in a dessert or two. Uh, what I would challenge people to, and we have tools in each one of the chapters of the book that kind of help you walk through this, is instead of eating those by yourself, just look for maybe two opportunities throughout the course of your week, two of those 21 to include somebody else. And don't you know, create this elaborate dinner you know, meal that you have to prepare go out to eat or just do something really simple share a salad it it it's really just about being together and sharing that meal rather than by yourself you know do it with somebody else and it's a great way uh, to bless them 
Yeah, it really is. It's so meaningful to be invited into someone's either home or circle to just share a meal. It's it's such an intimate uh, opportunity to get to know one another a bit better. Now, we're just about out of time in this segment. Can you give us a few more minutes if I take this break? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Again, we're talking with uh, John Ferguson. He's the co-author, along with his brother, Dave, both in ministry. The book is titled, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. And I have to tell you, it is so practical. I could do this. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. If you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, I'm continuing my conversation with John Ferguson. Uh, the title of the book that he and his uh, brother Dave have authored is Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. You know, during this period of pandemic, we've had a couple of new neighbors move into our neighborhood. And so much time has passed. I'm a little embarrassed that I haven't done what a, a good already in the neighborhood person should do, and especially a follower of Christ. I haven't gone over and introduced myself. I haven't brought a, you know, a cake or something. I haven't done any. This book has inspired me to say, you know, we're in a season right now where it's very comfortable to begin something that maybe should have begun months ago, but to begin something that could uh, develop into a, a wonderful relationship and friendship and an opportunity to extend the love of Christ and maybe even share the gospel. So this book is is very timely and very practical. We haven't really talked about the structure of it, but you'll find that it's very practical in, in answering the question, is this something I could do? And the answer is, and I can say with confidence having the book, yeah, any one of us can do this and make a real impact in our in our neighborhood and with our neighbors to love them well and to change the world. Um, now we were talking about the the um, practices, the uh, bless practices that allow us to do that. Let's talk about the next one, which is serve. Um, we have tremendous opportunities to bless one another in this season. How do you suggest that we serve our neighbors in an, our effort to love them well? Yeah, well, a good question. You know, I, I think. Uh, the order of these, if I could just back up a little bit, yeah. is important. Too. So you begin with prayer, you listen, and you eat, and then you serve. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I think he modeled for us, too, that if you will sort of follow these steps, that you will then discover how you can best serve the person or people that God is asking you to bless. Because, you know, praying, listening, and eating together helps you get to know that person. And it really ensures that the serving is about the person being served and not the person doing the serving. Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of reminds me of um, the love languages. Most of us are probably familiar with uh, Gary Chapman's book, where yes. the important thing is to learn um, the other person's love language and love them the way they need to be loved, when our tendency is to love people the way we want to be loved. <laughs> and I think it applies here. It's important to understand uh, you know, how your neighbor, how that person you're wanting to bless um, needs to be served and serve them in that way and not in a way that you necessarily want to. Uh, I, if I could, too, you know, you mentioned your neighbor. It's interesting. Um, an example where I, I think I might have got it right this one time. We had some new neighbors moving across the street. We live on the north side of Chicago. And my wife had mentioned that she uh, introduced herself to them and found out that the gentleman works for the Red Cross and that he's working super long hours uh, because he was a part of the team that came to Chicago to help increase the number of vaccinations that were available for the um, for the COVID, uh, you know, the pandemic. And uh, it's like the next day I was at the bakery and there's this bakery has this incredible bread that we love to buy. It's uh, oh, what kind of bread is sunflower seed bread. Strange, but very, very good. And so I, I go into the bakery and I'm looking at the shelf and I notice there's two loaves of bread and there's just something in me 
And I'd like to think it was the spirit of God saying, you know, buy both loaves. You're going to give one of those to somebody. I didn't know who I was going to give it to at that moment. But I went in and bought both because I figured, hey, you know, <laughs> if I don't give it to somebody, we've got two loaves of really good bread. And uh, on my way home, though, I was praying about it and kind of asking God, well, you know, who should I? And that neighbor came to mind working at the Red Cross, overtime hours. Why don't I just walk over there and say, you know what? My wife told me you're working a lot of hours. I just want to say thank you for your service, you know, helping out our city via the Red Cross with these vaccinations. I was at the bakery. I thought of you. I want you to have this loaf of bread. Hope you like it as much as I do. Not a big deal. Took me maybe 10 minutes and an extra $5 for the loaf of bread. You know, I don't know where that's going to go. But I think it was a neat way to almost combine the eat and the serve. Yeah, <laughs> I was serving yeah. them by giving them um, something to eat. And, and, and that's how it works. Sometimes, you know, it's about the people that are on your list that you're asking God to help you know how to bless them. And sometimes it's just being sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit for those moments when you have a chance to bless somebody impromptu. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. The last in the um, blessed practices is... Um, is a story where you have the opportunity to share your story. I think sometimes there's such a sense of urgency. We want to kind of blurt it out <laughs> prematurely um, because it's, it's important to us. It's, uh, you know, our walk with Christ and experiencing and knowing his love has been such a tremendous blessing in our life. We want to share that with others. Uh, talk a bit about the, the, the fifth in the practice of story, when we share ours, how we go about it, the timing and all of that, and address that sense of urgency that we may have that sabotages our relationship that we're building. Right. I think that's a, that's a really great point you make there, that the urgency is good. That's what, that's what kind of drives us or prompts us to want to share the love of Jesus with our neighbors. Uh, but I think that, sadly, many people have felt like maybe they're being like sold. Uh, it's like a sales pitch rather than um, coming across as a, uh, a real genuine sort of authentic reflection of the life change that you've experienced and what you know they could experience in a relationship with Christ. And so that's why, again, I think it's important for us to begin with prayer. You know, listen, just listen and, and don't talk. Mm -hmm. Christians are so known for talking. We need to be known for listening. Mm -hmm. Eat, share meals, look for ways to serve. And then finally, when people are ready to listen, I think that's when we share the story. I think that's how Jesus did it too. I mean, like when Doubting Thomas came to him asking, okay, Jesus, how can we know the way? And then Jesus said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, a relationship with me. And so I think when you befriend and bless people, over time, they will feel relationally safe and want to know your story. Then you can tell them how the love of Jesus you know, his life, death, and resurrection, how that has changed your life. And even then, keep it simple. You know, just share with them. We have this in the book, three steps. Your life before you chose to follow Jesus. You know, what was it like? How you chose to follow him. What were the circumstances around that? And then finally, your life since following Jesus. What difference has it made? And I think in that third part, it's important to be honest, too. Share, share the good stuff and share the challenging stuff. The ways that, you know... God has really come through for you in, in remarkable, if not miraculous ways, but also share those places where you're still kind of struggling or working yeah. through it and trying to figure life out like most people. I think people really, really appreciate that authenticity. Yeah, absolutely. You don't seem like an opportunist. You never read in scripture where Jesus seemed like an opportunist. I'm going here. Uh, just I'm just waiting for my moment. And I'm going to you know, jump on. He was genuinely concerned and interested in people. He was genuine in his approach. And I think that first practice of beginning with prayer and the last practice, which is sharing your story, are so inexorably linked that if you're doing the first, 
then you're not going to blow the, the last because your timing is going to be guided uh, not just by your sense of, okay, here's my moment. It's going to be guided by the Holy Spirit who says their heart is open, um, and this is a moment for you to share just this much of your story. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, it's, um, it's interesting. I had When I moved to the north side of Chicago a number of years ago, I found out that a friend of mine from high school lived like two or three blocks away. And so um, we started getting together, talking a little bit, started praying for him. I felt like I was trying to listen. We shared some meals. I found out the best way to serve him really was to simply listen to him because he was going through some really difficult times relationally, vocationally, et cetera. Uh, that's probably been over the course of about seven or eight years. And has he ever really, I mean, I've shared my story with him, so he knows you know, the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And just recently, he actually started going to an alpha small group with me, but he has Excellent. yet to really commit his life to Jesus. That's like seven or eight years. And, and you know what? That's where I'm saying, God, yeah, I want him to, but I think that's, you know, that's kind of where I got to let the Holy Spirit take over and I'll do what I can and let God take it from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Now, where do we begin? I know as I'm sitting here, uh, I'm broadcasting from home today. I'm thinking about specific neighbors. Where do I begin in this effort to bless um, my neighbors and to love them well, as uh, the book suggests? How do I begin, first of all, by identifying who God is calling me to to reach out to? Well, I think it's exactly what you're saying there. I think there's a couple different ways. One would be to go ahead and think about those people that are in your circle of influence. And it you know, in some situations for some people, it's, it's about proximity. It's about geography. Mm -hmm. It's those people that live next door to you across the street in your neighborhood. It could be, you know, especially as, you know, workplaces begin to move back to the office or on site, wherever that might be. It could be that person that you're sitting next to, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week that God has put in, in your path that you could begin to think about how to bless. And, and I would encourage you, like I know a lot of people have that are, you know, putting these practices into play is make that list, make that a part of your regular um, journaling time and begin praying for, for those people. And then if you, if you have a circle of other Christ following friends, I think another great way to do this is make that a part of your conversation when you're getting together. If you're part of a, a small group Bible study or discussion group of some kind, when you're together, ask each other, okay, who are you blessing this week? And if you show up and your way of blessing that week was by praying, well, good, that counts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't say I only prayed say no I prayed I prayed for you know two or three different people this week and then I would also say um, like I mentioned earlier make that kind of an ongoing prayer throughout the course of your day God tell me to know who I can bless today and look for those sort of impromptu moments that you might not expect where God gives you a, an unexpected opportunity to bless somebody yeah, and he will certainly honor that. Well, there's so much more that could be said about the uh, about the book. One of the things that you suggest is that when we uh, purpose in our hearts that we are going to to bless our neighbors, and we've identified uh, who those people are, that we um, we are held accountable by others. We let other people know, a couple of friends uh, know that can help keep us accountable, so that we we do move forward and experience uh, the joy of blessing others as we extend uh, love and joy to them uh, through this commitment. Yeah, I, I think doing this in community is a great way to go. I mean, not to reinforce <laughs> the opportunities that we have in the book, but we do have resources available. If anybody wants access to that, like small group guides, mm -hmm. uh, videos that kind of help them train people in this, they can find that at bless-book.org. We'd be happy to help in any way we can. Excellent. Well, again, the title of the book is Bless. 
uh, five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. I know it's going to certainly influence my practice here in this area. Uh, John Ferguson, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk with us about it. Oh, completely my pleasure. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It was really fun. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the big hoopla right now has to do with Dr. Anthony Fauci and his emails, some 3,000 pages. I think I may have misspoke earlier in the program and said 300, 3,000 pages of emails. It's a little frightening to consider that 3,000 pages of emails can be Uh, retrieved and used against you. But nonetheless, these are from last year when Dr. Fauci, who is America's most famous health official, uh, are now public and they're prompting calls for a congressional investigation and even his ouster, which isn't new because that's been going on uh, for quite some time. Well, the emails from the first half of last year reveal his skepticism early on about mask wearing to ward off COVID-19. His dismissal of the notion that the new coronavirus escaped a lab in China and his pretty vague reference to researching how to make the virus deadlier. We also received complimentary messages from a Chinese scientist, according to the emails. Well, Dr. Fauci is 80 years old, although I would guess he was younger. He's an um, immuno immunologist, get that right, who, as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, since 1984 became one of the most recognized faces of the fight against COVID-19. Now, the emails that were obtained by BuzzFeed and the Washington Post through the Freedom of Information Act also show that Dr. Fauci waved off his uh, celebrity status while at the same time embracing a Disney documentary and contacting other celebrities. Well, the Post reported on almost 900 pages of email messages to and from Fauci in March and April of last year. BuzzFeed, they produced about 3,200 pages of emails stretching from January through June of last year. Well, some takeaways from those um, those emails. Number one, Capitol Hill, uh, his uh, Capitol Hill response. Senator Rand Paul, who has faced off against Fauci in several public hearings, tweeted, told you, hashtag fire Fauci. Well, Rand Paul also tweeted, can't wait to see the media try to spin the Fauci Freedom of Information Act uh, emails. Representative Steve Scalise, he's the ranking Republican on the House Select Committee on the Coronavirus Crisis. He tweeted, the truth is out. Scalise also insisted on a congressional investigation. Fauci's emails, he says, show he suspected early last year that COVID-19 possibly leaked from the Wuhan lab, yet he stayed silent. Scalise wrote on Twitter, this is a major cover-up. We need a full congressional investigation into the origins of COVID-19. Now, part of that is based on a relationship and funding that uh, Dr. Fauci uh, was overseeing that went to the Wuhan lab to try to make that make a little more sense. Secondly, gain of function, which is precisely what I was referring to. On February 1st, 2020, Fauci wrote his deputy and fellow immunologist, Hugh Alkenclose, saying, it is essential that we speak this AM. Keep your cell phone on. I have a conference call with Health and Human Service Secretary Alex Azar. Read this paper as well as the email I will forward you now. You will have tasks today that must be done. Well, that same day, Alkenclose, he uh, replied mentioning someone named Emily, apparently another colleague. Well, the paper you sent me say the experiments were performed before the gain of function pause, but have since been uh, reviewed and approved by the National Institutes of Health. Not sure what that means since Emily is sure 
sure that no coronavirus has gone through a P3 framework, she will try to determine if we have any distant ties to this work abroad. Well, gain of function refers to changing a sample of a virus, such as it uh, to make it more contagious or dangerous, for example, in order to study a more effective response. Well, in 2014, the National Institutes of Health, they put a pause on gain of function research, but lifted it in 2017. Well, the term P3 framework uh, may refer to a public-private partnership, one of which the National Institutes of Health announced in April of 2020 to accelerate COVID-19 vaccine and treatment options. Well, Dr. Fauci was told, uh, or rather told a Senate panel, that the United States did not fund any such research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which some knowledgeable observers argue is the likely source of the new coronavirus. So that connection is um, is what uh, sent Dr. Fauci into something of a uh, uh, appears to be something of a panic. Well, number three, masks for infected people. Well, Dr. Fauci appeared not to be alarmed by the new coronavirus in the early stages. He dismissed a need for masks, not expecting many casualties and saying that domestic flights are safe. Well, it's not surprising early on that he might have said that. In February, uh, the fifth, to be more precise, email to former HHS Secretary Sylvia, uh, Sylvia Burwell Fauci wrote that masks are for those who are infected. Masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading the infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring the infection. He wrote to Burwell, well, the typical mask you buy in a drugstore is not really effective in keeping out the virus, which is small enough to pass through the material, end quote. Well, a private citizen emailed Fauci later in that month of February, asking first whether the vice president, Mike Pence, had ordered him not to inform the public about COVID-19 without approval. The writer then asked, I'm planning to fly domestically tomorrow, redacted. Uh, is it safe? Well, Fauci replied to that question. I actually have not been muzzled at all by the vi- by uh, the vice president. And by the way, it is safe to fly domestically. And then the rest of that is redacted. Well, as of this month, about 592,000 U.S. deaths have been uh, tied to COVID-19 out of almost 34 million reported cases, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. A day after the first reported U.S. death, the ABC News correspondent emailed Dr. Fauci to ask whether he agreed with the source in the Department of Homeland Security that as many as 500,000 deaths could result from the virus and 98 million could be infected. Fauci replies, replied, rather, it seems exceptionally high. Well, number four, China misled the world. Well, Eric, I think it's Nielsen, uh, who was a uh, who has a doctorate in applied physics, emailed Fauci in March of 2020 that he had been modeling COVID-19 since the previous January. Uh, the data posted by China is not only garbage, it is mis- it has misled the world into a false sense of security, he wrote to Dr. Fauci. He said COVID-19 could become a tsunami in the United States, adding, I believe we missed the containment boat quite a while ago. Well, Nielsen wrote Dr. Fauci that he had learned 5 million people left Wuhan on January 22nd uh, before China locked down the city and uh, scattered to more than 13,000 other places. I'm confident that China stopped counting dead COVID-19 infected bodies since January 7th of, of 2020, he wrote. Dr. Fauci forwarded the email to an aide and wrote, too long for me to read. Number five, sequences. 
uh, look engineered. Well, Kristen Anderson, who's a professor and researcher at Scripps Research's Department on, of Immunology and Microbiology, sent an email to Dr. Fauci on January 31st of last year about the virus, saying that one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features potentially looked engineered. Anderson added that he and his colleagues all find the uh, genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. But we have to uh, look at this much more closely, and there are still future analysis to be done, so those opinions could still change, he continued. Well, in response, Dr. Fauci wrote, Thanks, uh, Christian. It's spelled with a K, uh, Christian, so it's a a male. Uh, Talk soon on the call. Well, at uh, February 21st email from someone who said he was a dermatologist who graduated from Cornell Medical School, wrote Dr. Fauci to say, we think there is a possibility the virus was released from a lab in Wuhan, the biotech area of China. We also think the virus might be complexed with another organism, such as a yeast or fungus, to make it more sticky. Well, the next day, Dr. Fauci forwarded the email to a colleague saying only, please handle. In April 16th, in an email, the National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins, his boss, sent Dr. Fauci an email referring to the theory of a Wuhan lab leak with the subject line, conspiracy gains momentum. The email included a link to uh, a news story about the theory. Number six, your comments are brave. Well, the National Institutes of Health sent money to uh, EcoHealth Alliance, a nonprofit that funded coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the research lab in China. Well, British zoologist Peter uh, Dazak, president of the EcoHealth Alliance, wrote Fauci on the 18th of April to thank him for asserting that the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 appeared to have originated in an animal. I just wanted to say a personal thank you on behalf of our staff and collaborators for publicly standing up and stating that the scientific evidence supporters supports rather a natural origin for COVID-19 from a bat to human spillover, not a lab release from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, EcoHealth Alliance is a federal contractor that funded work at the Wuhan lab. Uh, Dazak added, your comments are brave and coming from your trusted voice will uh, help dispel the myths being spun around the virus origins. Fauci replied, Peter, many thanks for your kind notes. So these are some of the takeaways from the uh, 3,000 emails that have been made public through the Freedom of Information Act. I need to take a quick break. We'll continue to wind through some of them as we try to understand what's unfolding uh, in the uh, midst of all of this. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about the 3,000 emails that have been made public uh, from Dr. F- to and from Dr. Fauci that have raised some serious questions about uh, his leadership with regard to uh, the coronavirus. Uh, we're winding our way through number seven. A Chinese official says, let's work together, speaking to uh, Dr. Fauci. Now, this may not be significant, except that Dr. Fauci has uh, had throughout this uh, period until most recently declined to acknowledge the possibility that this um, coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology may be responsible for uh, the coronavirus that we now all know and live with. Uh, well, Chinese official said, let's work together in one of the emails or several of the emails. George Gao, who's the director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention, was quoted in Science Magazine as calling it a big mistake for Fauci not to promote wearing a mask during the pandemic. Well, on the 28th of March, 
um, uh, George Gao wrote to Dr. Fauci to say that he was misquoted. I saw the science interview. How could I say such a word? Big mistake about others. That was the journalist's wording. Hoping you understand, Gao wrote, let's uh, work together to get the virus out of the earth. Well, Dr. Fauci responded, I understand completely. No problem. We will get through this together. Uh, Gao followed up with uh, an April 8th email uh, telling Dr. Fauci, I say, uh, or rather, I saw some news, hope it is a fake, that you are being attacked by uh, some people. Hope you are well under such an irrational situation, referring, of course, to his um, unwillingness to acknowledge the possibility of a Wuhan connection. Fauci replied on the 11th of April, thank you for your kind note. All is well, despite some crazy people in this world, end quote. Then the NFL season. Uh, Tom Mayer, medical director of the National Football League Players Association, emailed a Fauci aide to request a briefing on how to safely begin the two pro football seasons. Mayer said the Players Association and the NFL could start a joint task force on the pandemic. My request is to have Dr. Fauci give a telephone briefing to our group on this difficult topic, which would be, of course, be um, confidential. Mayer wrote the floor would be his and I could debrief him prior to the call on what we have been working on. Fauci's response to uh, his aide about the mayor uh, request was deleted from the email, which, like others, was heavily redacted. And these are highlights from these 3,000 emails that you're going to be hear much more, uh, hearing much more about in the days ahead. Number nine, a cult following. The National Institutes of Health colleague and uh, a colleague uh, emailed Fauci on the 31st of March with a link to a Washington Post story carrying the headline, Fauci socks, Fauci donuts, Fauci fan art. The coronavirus expert attracts a cult following. Fauci replied, truly surrealistic. Hopefully this all stops soon. Well, a week later, on April 8th, Fauci forwarded a story with the headline, Cuomo crush and Fauci fever. Sexualization of these men is a real thing on the Internet. Oh, my. Well, besides Fauci, the story referred to New York Governor um, Mayor, uh, I should say Governor Andrew Cuomo, who was attracting praise for his response to the pandemic before information emerged that the Democratic governor directed that COVID-19 patients be sent back to nursing homes. The name of the person to whom Fauci forwarded the story was redacted. Fauci wrote, it will blow your mind. Our society is really totally nuts. Fauci didn't shy away from a documentary film proposed by Disney either. Well, a message from Walt Disney Corporation Executive Chairman Robert Iger said the documentary would feature footage of Fauci at home as well as doing his job. In another email, Fauci uh, wrote that uh, seeing Hollywood star Brad Pitt playing him on Saturday Night Live had made my year. Of course, this was most likely tongue-in-cheek, but these are highlights from those 3,000 uh, emails you're hearing so much about. Number 10, contacts with uh, Gates and Zuckerberg. Uh, An April 1st email refers to a phone call between Fauci and Microsoft founder Bill Gates. In the email, Fauci said he was enthusiastic about moving forward on a collaborative effort between public health agencies and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. On March 15th, a message from Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg expressed his employer's um, interest in working with Fauci on an information hub for COVID-19. And then number 11, Republican correspondence. In an April 10th email, Rep- uh, Representative Fred Upton, a Republican out of Michigan, asked Dr. Fauci about hydroxychloroquine, which uh, President Donald Trump had touted as a potential treatment for COVID-19. The drug primarily was used to treat lupus. Well, Upton asked Fauci whether people with lupus have uh, contracted COVID-19. On April 11th, Fauci answered almost certainly yes, but he added that there wasn't enough data yet. 
Well, Upton replied to Fauci, keep being a science truth teller. Fauci responded, thanks, Fred. I appreciate your note. Uh, Mark Short, Pence's chief of staff at the time, emailed Fauci on the 11th of uh, April with a message that isn't entirely clear. You correctly noticed the symptoms but misdiagnosed the root cause. Short wrote uh, in a heavily redacted email that uh, that closes, apologies for a poor poker face. Well, the vice president's chief of staff sent the email shortly before Easter, and Trump had said several times that he hoped to open up the economy again by Easter. The president also admitted he was an optimist. Uh, It was an optimistic goal. Dr. Fauci responded to short. Thanks for the note. Understood. I wish you uh, a peaceful, enjoyable day with your family. So these are some of the highlights from the uh, some 3000 emails that have now been made public, questioning some of the public statements made by Dr. Fauci, as opposed to the private uh, statements made in uh, in his emails. Uh, As I've mentioned, um, House Republicans are uh, calling on uh, Dr. Fauci, in fact, saying it's imperative that Dr. Anthony Fauci testify before congressional committees and provide information related to the origins of COVID-19. Scalise and Comer both say that he must testify about these published emails and the origin of COVID-19. Steve Scalise is the House uh, Republican whip. Uh, He's a Republican out of um, Louisiana. He serves as the top Republican on the House Select Committee on the Coronavirus Crisis and House Oversight Committee ranking member James Comer. He penned a letter to top Democrats on the committee, Chairman James Clyburn uh, from South Carolina and Carolyn Maloney of New York, saying it is imperative that Fauci appear before the committees. Both wrote that Fauci's emails, which were released through the Freedom of Information Act filing this week, debunk many Democrats' claims for the past year, including that he and other scientists were muzzled by the Trump administration. More importantly, the email contained new evidence regarding the origins of COVID-19, including the possibility it leaked from a U.S. taxpayer-funded laboratory They wrote, it is now imperative that Dr. Fauci come before this uh, committee to provide information related to the origins of the novel coronavirus, as well as the U.S. government's role in funding research that may have contributed to the development of the novel coronavirus. Now, novel because it's unlike any coronavirus we've seen to date. The American people, they went on to say, have a right to know what the government knew about the origins of the pandemic and when it was uh, and when it was known. Meanwhile, a Chinese virologist who was among the first to tout the Wuhan lab theory says that Dr. Fauci's emails back up what she's been saying all along. The coronavirus is an unrestricted bioweapon and blasted Dr. Fauci and medical experts for the cover-up. This is Dr. Li Meng Yan, who was among the first people to tout the Wuhan lab theory, said in her latest report, COVID-19 is an unrestricted bioweapon. She is the Chinese government. She said, rather, the Chinese government and certain overseas scientists and organizations covered it up. In an interview with uh, Newsmax uh, Wednesday night, Yan referenced a February 1st, 2020 exchange with Fauci's email dump with one of uh, his direct reports, Dr. Hugh um, uh, Auchincloss. Uh, wrote an email to uh, Dr. Fauci that the experiments were performed before the to the gain of function pause, but have since been reviewed and approved by the National Institutes of Health. Now, this is critical because that is the connection that's being alleged to the United States funding uh, elements that may have contributed to this uh, um, virus. Dr. Hughes uh, Alchenklaus uh, said that experiments were performed before the gain-of-function pause, but have since been reviewed and approved by the National Institutes of Health. Now, interpreting that uh, 
correctly is not something I am in a position to do, but it does raise questions that members of Congress would like to have clarified. Jan's work has been heavily scrutinized, criticized, and said to be deeply flawed by other leading scientists. And Dr. Fauci said multiple times in interviews over the last two days that he still believes the coronavirus origin jumped species, not from a lab leak. So this is an ongoing um, investigation and attempt at clarifying what we know to be true or what's most likely to be the case. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, on a completely different note, there's a prominent religious liberty organization that's asking a Virginia school district to reverse a decision to suspend a gym teacher for not complying with pronoun rules for trans- transgender students in his elementary school. Well, the Loudoun County School District suspended Byron Tanner Cross a physical education teacher in Leesburg Elementary School, after he said during a May 25th school board meeting that he would not abide by a proposed rule requiring teachers to call students who say they are transgender by their preferred personal pronoun. This is in an elementary school. To do so, he told the school board, would damage children and defile the holy image of God, end quote. Well, Alliance Defending Freedom, which is that prominent religious organization, filed a lawsuit against the school system on Tuesday in Loudoun County in the circuit court there on cross behalf. Uh, I was a little surprised by it, the teacher said, uh, in an interview with Ben um, Domenech of um, Fox News Channel. Here in America, we love our free speech and, you know, teachers are just like everybody else. We have political views, we have religious views, and we like to advocate for those views and not be punished for it. But it, it uh, kind of feels like it's uh, going in that direction, end quote. Well, Cross stated uh, his view outside working hours during the public comment portion of the school board's May 25th meeting. Two days later, he was notified of his suspension with pay in a letter from the school district. Well, the school board in Loudoun County, which is about 45 minutes west of Washington, D.C., and tops uh, lists of the nation's richest counties, is reviewing two policies under a Virginia mandate requiring all school systems to update policies on transgender students. Well, immediately suspending an employee and launching an investigation for engaging in First Amendment protected expression creates an atmosphere of fear and is intended to send a message to Mr. Cross and other teachers that they must uh, toe the line or face the consequences, says the letter. It's dated Friday from Alliance Defending Freedom to a top Loudoun County school official. The First Amendment does not countenance such retaliation, the letter says. We demand that you immediately, one, rescind the suspension, two, reinstate Mr. Cross so he can return to class on Tuesday, June the 1st, three, remove the suspension letter from his file, and four, refrain from any future retaliation against protected speech. Well, the letter signed by Tyson Langhofer, a senior counsel with ADF and director of its Center for Academic Freedom, asks for a response from the school district by the end of Friday. That was last week. The letter was addressed to Lucia Villa Sebastian, Loudoun County's interim assistant school superintendent for human resources and talent development. Well, ADF um, spoke to the public information officer for the Loudoun County School District and uh, was told that under state and federal confidentiality laws regarding the personnel uh, personnel records, Loudoun County Public Schools can say only that Mr. Cross is on paid administrative leave. Well, a similar incident occurred in West Point, Virginia. That was in 2018 when the school board there fired a French teacher after he declined to refer to a student who was a biological female by a male pronoun. When the Loudoun County School Board convened in May, 
Cross was uh, among those who spoke during the public comment portion of that meeting. Cross noted that a recent 60-minute episode uh, reported on interviews with more than 30 young people who transitioned to the opposite sex in part because of how easy it was, but now are detransitioning, as it's called, reversing the process. It's not my intent to hurt anyone, but there are certain truths that we must face when uh, when ready, we condemn school policies like 8040 because it would damage children and defile the holy image of God, Cross told the school board. I love all my students, but I will never lie to them regardless of the consequences. I am a teacher, but I serve God first, and I will not affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it is against my religion. It lay, it, uh, it's lying to a child, it's abuse to a child, and it is sinning against our God. Well, two days later, Sebastian, the assistant superintendent, informed Cross in a letter that he was on administrative leave with pay effective the 27th of May, pending an investigation of an allegation that you engaged in conduct that had a disruptive impact on the operations of the elementary school. Now, this was a public meeting on private time. In a public statement, Alliance Defending Freedom uh, Freedom's Langhofer said that public schools have no business compelling teachers to express ideological beliefs that they don't hold and added that it's beyond the pale to suspend someone simply for respectfully providing their opinion at a public meeting, which is what uh, such meetings are designed for. This isn't just about a pronoun. This is about endorsing an ideology, Langhofer said. About Cross's suspension, the school favors certain beliefs and it wants to force Tanner uh, Tanner Cross to cry uncle and endorse them as well. That's neither legal nor constitutional, and neither was the school's move to place Tanner on leave. This will be an ongoing um, controversy, and we will follow this and other stories as they develop. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, Dan Rice for the use of his office. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.